Chapters 23, 24, and 25 of Tom Swift. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Tom Swift and His War Tank by Victor Appleton. Chapter 23 Gone. Here, eat some of this. And Ned held something out to his chum. It'll bring you up quicker than anything else, except a cup of hot tea, and we'll get that as soon as we can get away from here, went on the young bank clerk. What is it? Tom asked, and his voice was very weary. It's a mixture of chocolate and nuts, replied Ned. It's a new form of emergency ration issued to soldiers before they go over the top. Our YMCA is sending a lot to the boys from around here who are in France. I was helping pack the boxes ready for shipment, and I kept out some to show you. Lucky I had it with me. Eat it, and you'll feel a lot better in a few minutes. You haven't had much to eat, have you? Very little, answered Tom, as he nibbled half-heartedly at the confection Ned gave him, while Mr. Damon went out to the automobile and came back with a thermos bottle filled with cool water. He always provided himself with this on taking an automobile trip. Tom managed to eat some of the chocolate and then took a drink of the cool water. In a little while he declared that he felt better. "'Then come out of here!' exclaimed Ned. "'You can tell us all how it happened and what they did to you. But I can see that last. They treated you like a dog, didn't they?' "'Pretty nearly,' answered Tom. "'But they didn't have things all their own way. I think I made one or two of them remember me.' and he glanced at his swollen and bruised hands. Indeed, he bore the marks of having been in a fierce fight. "'Are you sure the tank's all right?' he asked Ned again. "'That has been worrying me more than my own condition. I could think of only one reason why they got me out here and held me prisoner, and that was to get me out of the way while they captured my tank. "'Then they haven't got her?' he asked eagerly. "'Not a look at her,' Ned answered. She was safe in the shop when we set out this morning. And now it's late afternoon, murmured Tom. Well, I hope nothing has happened since. And there was vague alarm in his voice, an alarm at which Ned and Mr. Damon wondered. Couldn't you stop at some farmhouse and get fixed up a little? asked Mr. Kimball, the farmer who had brought the note to Ned and Mr. Damon. I need to get fixed up somewhere replied Tom with a rueful look at himself, his hands, his torn clothes, and his general dilapidated appearance. But I don't want to lose any time. I'm afraid something has happened at home, Ned. Nonsense! How could there, with Koku on guard, to say nothing of eradicate? <laughs> well, maybe you're right, agreed Tom. But I'll feel better when I see my tank in her shed. Let's have some more of that concentrated porterhouse steak of yours, Ned. It is good, and it fills out my stomach, which was getting more intimate with my backbone than I liked to feel. More of the really good confection and another drink of refreshing water made Tom feel better, and he was soon able to walk along without staggering from weakness. And now let's get out of here, advised Ned, unless you've left something back in that vault you want, Tom, and he motioned to his chum's late prison. Nothing there but bad memories was the reply, with a rueful smile. I'm as ready to go as you are, Ned. It was good of you and Mr. Damon to come for me, and you... And he looked questioningly at Mr. Kimball. 
If it hadn't been for Mr. Kimball and his boy, we wouldn't have found you. At least so soon, said Ned, and he told of the finding of the note and what had happened. That's the only way I could think of for getting help, said Tom. They took every scrap of paper from me, but I found some in the lining of my hat. Some I'd stuffed in after I had a haircut, and my hat was too large. For a pencil I used burnt matches. Oh, but I'm glad to be out. And he breathed deep of the fresh air. How did you get in there? asked Ned wonderingly. Those fellows, of course. The German plotters, I'm going to call them, for I believe that Blakeson and his gang, though I didn't see him, are really working in the interests of Germany to get the secret of my tank. Well, they haven't got her yet, said Ned, and they're not likely to now. Go on, Tom. If you feel able, tell us in a few words what happened. We've been trying to think, but can't. Well, it all happened because I didn't think enough, said Tom, who was rapidly recovering his strength and nerve. When I got that message that seemed to come from you, Ned, I should have known better than to take a chance. But it seemed genuine, and as I had no reason to suspect a trap, I started off at once. I thought maybe Canker had repented and was going to make amends for all the trouble he caused. Anyhow, I started off in my machine, and I hadn't got more than to the crossroads when I saw a fellow out tinkering with his auto. Of course I stopped to ask if I could help, for I can't bear to see any machinery out of order, and as I was stooping over the engine to see what was wrong, I was pounced on from behind, bound and tied, and before I could do a thing, I was bundled into the car, a big limousine, and taken away. The crossroads was as far as we could trace you, remarked Ned. Well, it wasn't as far as they took me, by any means, Tom said. They brought me here, took me out of the machine, and I noticed that they brought mine along, and then they carted me into the vault. But they didn't have it all their own way, said Tom grimly. I managed to get the ropes loose, and I had a regular knock-down and drag-out with them for a while. But they were too many for me, and locked me up in that place after taking away everything I had in my pockets. "'Were they highwaymen?' asked Mr. Kimball. "'No, for they tossed back my money, watch, and some trifles like that,' Tom answered. "'I didn't recognize any of the men, though one of them must have known me,' "'for when they had me tied, I heard one of them ask if I was the right party, "'and another said I was. "'I know they must belong to the same gang that Simpson, Blakeson, and Schwen are members of, "'the German spies.' "'But what was their object?' asked Ned. "'Did they try to force you to tell them the secrets of the tank?' "'No, and that's the funny part which makes me so suspicious,' Tom answered. "'If they tried to force something out of me,' I would understand it better, but they just kept me a prisoner after taking away what papers I had. "'Were they of any value?' asked Mr. Damon. "'Not as regards the tank. That is, there was nothing of my plans of construction, control, or anything like that, though there was some foreign correspondence that I am sorry fell into their hands. However, that can't be helped.' "'And did they just keep you locked up?' asked Ned. That's about all they did, after the fight, and it was some fight, declared Tom, as he recalled it with a shake of his head. They left me here with the door shut. There must have been someone on guard, for I could faintly hear somebody moving about. 
I tried to get out, of course, but I couldn't. That vault must have been made to hold something very valuable, for it was almost as strong and solid as one in your bank, Ned. The only window was placed so high that I couldn't reach it, and it was barred at that. They opened the door a little, several times, to toss in once some old bags that I made into a bed, and next they gave me a little water and some sandwiches. German Bologna sausage sandwiches, Ned. What do you think of that? Adding insult to injury. That was tough, Ned admitted. Well, I had to put up with it, for I was half-starved and as sore as a boil from the fight. I didn't know what to do. I knew that you'd miss me sooner or later, and set out to find me, but I hardly thought you'd think of this place. They couldn't have picked out a much better prison to hold me, for naturally you wouldn't suppose enough of it was left standing, after my tank had walked through it, to make a hiding place. However, there was, and here I've been kept. At last I thought of the plan of sending out a message on the scrap of paper I could tear out of my hat. So I wrote it, and after several trials I managed to toss it out of the window. Then I just had to wait, and that was the hardest of all. The last twelve hours I've been without food, and I haven't heard anyone around, so I guess they've skipped out and don't intend to come back. We didn't see anyone, Ned reported. Maybe they became frightened, Tom. I wish I could think that, was the answer. What is more likely is the case that they're up to some new tricks. I must get back home quickly. And after a stop had been made at a farmhouse belonging to a business acquaintance of Ned's, where Tom was able to wash and get a cup of hot tea, which added to his recuperative powers, the young inventor, with Ned and Mr. Damon, set out for Shopton. Before Mr. Kimball started for his home, renewed thanks had been made to the farmer and his son for the part they had played in the rescue, and the young inventor, learning that the boy had a liking for things mechanical, promised to aid him in his intention to become a machinist. "'But first get a good education,' Tom advised. "'Keep on with your schoolwork, and when the time comes, I'll take you into my shop.' "'And maybe he'll make a tank that will rival yours, Tom.' said Ned. Maybe he will. I hope he does. If he comes along fast enough, he can help with something else I'm going to start soon. What's that? asked Mr. Damon. Oh, it's something on the same order, designed to help batter down the German lines, Tom answered. I haven't quite made up my mind what to call it yet. But let's get home. I want to see that my tank is safe. The absence of the plotters from the factory makes me suspicious. On the way back, Tom told more of the details of the attack. But we'll forget about it all now you're out, remarked Ned. And the sooner we get home, the better, added Tom. Can't you get a little more speed out of this machine? he asked. Well, it isn't the hawk, replied Ned, but we'll see what we can do. And he made the runabout fairly fly. Mrs. Baggert was the first to greet Tom as they arrived at his home. She did not seem as surprised as either Tom, Ned, or Mr. Damon expected her to be. "'Well, I'm glad you're all right,' she said. "'And it's a good thing you sent that note, for your father was so excited and worried I was getting apprehensive about him.' "'What note?' asked Tom, while a queer look came into his face." "'Why, the one you sent, saying you were detained on business "'and would probably not be home for a week, 
and to have Koku and the men bring the tank to you. Bring the tank? A note from me? exclaimed Tom. The plotters again, and they've got the tank. He ran to the big shop, followed by the others. Throwing open the doors, they went inside. A glance sufficed to disclose the worst. The place where the great tank had stood was empty. Gone! gasped Tom. End of chapter 23 Chapter 24 Camouflaged Two utterances Tom Swift made when the fact of the disappearance of the tank became known to him were characteristic of the young inventor. The first was, How did they get it away? And the second was, Come on, let's get after them. Then, for a few moments, no one said anything. Tom, Ned, and Mr. Damon, with Mrs. Baggert in the background, stood looking at the great empty machine shop. "'Well, they got her,' went on Tom with a sigh. "'I was afraid of this as soon as they left me alone at the factory.' "'Is anything wrong?' faltered the housekeeper. "'Didn't you send for the tank, Tom?' "'No, Mrs. Baggert, I didn't.' Tom answered. "'But I don't understand,' the housekeeper said. "'A man came with a note from you, Tom, and in it you said to have him take the tank with Koku and the men who know how to run it. We were so glad to hear from you and know that you were all right, that we didn't think of anything else, your father and I. So he went out and saw that the tank got off all right. Koku was glad.' before it's the first chance he's had to ride in it. "'Who was the man who brought the note?' asked Tom, and he was striving to be calm. "'To think of poor old Dad playing right into the hands of the plotters,' he added in an aside to Ned. "'Well, I don't know who the man was,' said Mrs. Baggert. "'He seemed all right, and, of course, having a note from you.' "'Who has that note now?' asked Tom quickly. "'Your father?' "'Come on!' And Tom led the way back to the house. "'I'll have a look at that document, which, of course, I never wrote, and then we'll get after the plotters and the tank.' "'She ought to be easy to trace,' observed Mr. Damon. "'Bless my fountain pen, but she ought to be easy to trace. She will leave a track like a giant boa constrictor crawling along.' "'Yes, I guess we can trace her all right,' assented Tom Swift. But the point is, will there be anything left of her? That's what I'm afraid of now. Mr. Swift was still excited, but his worry had subsided as soon as he knew Tom was safe. The whole thing is a forgery, but fairly well done, Tom said as he looked at the paper his father gave him, a brief note stating that Tom was well, but detained on business, and that the tank was to be brought to him, just where the bearer of the note would indicate. Koku, the giant, and several of the machinists who knew how to operate the big machine were to go with it, the note said. That made me sure everything was all right, said Mr. Swift. I knew, of course, Tom, that plotters might try to get hold of your war secret, and I didn't see how they could if Koku and some of your own men were in possession. They couldn't, as long as they remained in possession. Tom said. But that's the trouble. I'm afraid they haven't. What has probably happened is that under the direction of this man who brought the forged note from me, 
Coco and the others took the tank where he directed them, thinking to meet me. Then, reaching the place where the rest of the plotters were concealed, they overpowered Koku and the others and took possession of the machine. "'They'd have trouble with Koku,' suggested Ned. "'Yes, but even a giant can't fight too big a crowd, especially if he is taken by surprise, and that's probably what happened,' remarked Tom. "'Now the question is, where is the tank, and how can we get her back? Every minute counts. If those German spies and their helpers remain in possession long, they'll find out enough of my secrets to enable them to duplicate the machine, and especially some of the most exclusive features. We've got to get after them!' "'They imitated your writing pretty well, Tom,' observed Ned, as he looked at the forged note. "'Yes, that's why they took all my papers away from me, to get specimens of my handwriting. I half-suspected that, but I didn't quite figure out what their game was. Well, we know the worst now, and that's better than working in the dark. Now I'm going to have a bath and get into some decent clothes, and we'll see what we can do. Count on me, Tom, exclaimed Ned. I'll go the limit with you. I knew you would, old man. And me too, cried Mr. Damon. Bless my open fireplace, but I'll send word to my wife that I'm not coming home tonight, and we could start the first thing in the morning, Tom. Yes, there isn't much use in going now, as it will soon be dark. How are you going to trace the tank, Tom? asked Ned, when his chum had bathed and gotten into fresh clothes. I'm going to tour the country around here in an auto. The tank can make ten miles an hour, but that's nothing to what an auto can do, and we oughtn't to have much trouble in tracing her. No one whose house she passed would forget her in a hurry. That's so, agreed Ned. But if they took her across country... A different story, agreed Tom. Come to think of it, maybe we'd better start tonight, Ned. We can make inquiries after dark as well as by daylight and get ready for an early morning hunt. Let's do it, then, suggested his chum. I'm ready. I'll send word that I'll not be home tonight. Good, cried the young inventor. We'll have an old-fashioned hunt after our enemies, Ned. "'And don't leave me out!' begged Mr. Damon. Hurried preparations were made for the night trip. Tom ordered out one of his speediest, though not largest, automobiles, and told his helper to get the hawk ready, to have her so that she could start at a moment's notice, if needed. "'You're not going in her, are you, Tom?' asked Ned. "'I may need her tomorrow for daylight hunting. If the tank's hidden somewhere—' I can spot her from above more easily than from the ground, so if we get any trace of my machine, I can phone in and have the aeroplane brought to me. That's a good idea. Inquiry at the shop where the tank had been built and kept disclosed the fact that, in addition to Koku, three of Tom's men had gone in her to help manage the machine under the direction of the man who bore the forged note. That he was one of the plotters not hitherto observed by either Ned or Tom seemed certain. And they took Koku and some of the men merely to make it look natural and as if it were all right, Tom said. Naturally that deceived my father, who thought of course that I was waiting for the machine. Well, it was a slick trick, Ned, but we may fool them yet. I hope so, Tom. Night had fully fallen when Tom, Ned, and Mr. Damon started away in the touring car. Out onto the road rolled the automobile, 
During the little daylight that had remained after his arrival at home, and following the discovery of the loss of the tank, Tom and Ned had traced it, by the marks of the big steel caterpillar belts, to the main road. It had gone along that some distance, just how far could not be said. "'But by using the searchlight of the auto, we can trace her as long as they keep her on the road,' said Tom. "'After that we'll have to trust to luck, and to what inquiries we can make.' The touring car carried a powerful lamp, and by its gleams it was easy to trace for a time the progress of the ponderous tank. There was no need to make inquiries of persons living along the way, though once or twice Tom did get out to ask, confirming the fact that the big machine had rumbled past in a direction away from the swift home. I had an idea they might have doubled on their tracks for a time, and backed her up just to fool us, Tom said. They might do that keeping her in the same tracks. But this evidently had not been done, and the tank was making good speed away from the swift house. They kept up the search until about midnight, and then a heavy rain began just before they reached a point where several roads branched. "'Lux with them!' exclaimed Tom. "'This will wash away the marks, and we'll have to go it blind. Might as well put up here for the night,' he added as they came to a village hotel." It was evident that little more could be done in the rain and darkness, and there was danger of overrunning the trail of the tank if they kept on. So they turned in at the hotel and got what little rest they could in their anxious state of minds. Tom tried to be cheerful and to look for the best, but it was hard work. The tank was his pet invention, and moreover, that her secrets should fall into the hands of the enemy and be used for Germany and against the United States, eventually made the young inventor feel that everything was going wrong. The rain kept up all night, and this would make it correspondingly hard for them to pick up the trail in the morning. The only thing we can do is to make inquiries, decided Tom. Fortunately, the tank can't easily be hidden. They started off after an early breakfast. The roads were so muddy and wet that traveling was difficult and dangerous for the automobile and they were disappointed in finding no one who had seen or heard the tank pass up to a point not far from the hotel where they had stayed overnight. From then on the big machine seemed to have disappeared. "'I know what they've done,' Tom said, when noon came and they had found no trace of the ponderous war machine. "'They've left the road and taken her cross-country, and we can't find the spot where they did this, because the rain has washed out the marks. Well, there's only one thing left to do.' "'What's that?' asked Ned. "'Get the hawk. "'In that we can look down and over a big extent of country. "'That's what I'll do. "'I'll phone for the airship. "'The rain is stopping, I think.' "'The rain did cease by the time one of Tom's men "'brought the speedy aircraft to the place "'named by the young inventor in his telephone message. "'There were still several hours of daylight left, "'and Tom counted on them to allow him to rise in the air "'and look down on the tank's possible hiding place.' "'One thing's sure,' he told Ned. "'I know the limit of her speed, "'and she can't be farther off than at some place "'within a circle of about 125 miles from my house, "'and it's in the direction we're in. "'So if I circle around up above, I may spot her.' "'I hope so,' murmured Ned. "'It was arranged that Mr. Damon should take the automobile back, "'with Tom's mechanic in it, and Tom and Ned would scout around in the aircraft, which carried only two. 
You ought to have a machine gun with you, Tom, if you plan to attack those fellows to get back the tank, Ned said. Oh, I don't imagine I'll need it, he said. Anyhow, a machine gun wouldn't be of much effect against the tank, and they can't fire on us, for there wasn't any ammunition for the guns in Tank A, unless they got some of their own, and I hardly believe they'd do that. I'll take a chance, anyhow. And so the search from the air began. It was disappointing at first. Around and around circled Tom and Ned, their eyes peering eagerly down from the heights for a sight of the tank, possibly hidden in some little-known ravine or gully. Back and forth, like a speck in the sky, Tom guided the hawk, while Ned took observation after observation with the binoculars. At last, when the low-sinking sun gave warning that night would soon be upon them, Ned's glasses picked up something on the ground far below that made him sit suddenly straighter in his seat. "'What is it?' asked Tom, through the speaking apparatus, feeling the movement on the part of his chum. "'I see something down there, Tom,' was the answer. "'It doesn't look like the tank, and yet it doesn't look as a clump of trees and bushes ought to look. Have a peep yourself. It's just beyond that river, against the side of the hill. A lonesome place, too.' Tom took the glasses while Ned assumed control of the hawk, there being a dual system for operating and steering her. No sooner had the young inventor got the focus on what Ned had indicated than he gave a cry. "'What is it?' asked the young bank clerk. "'Camouflaged!' cried Tom, and without stopping to explain what he meant, he handed the binoculars back to Ned and began to guide the hawk down toward the earth at high speed. End of chapter 24 Chapter 25, the final chapter, foiled. "'Is it really Tank A, Tom?' cried Ned through the tube, as soon as he became aware of his companion's intention. "'Are you sure?' "'That's the girl, and just where you spotted her with the glasses, in that clump of bushes. But they've daubed her with green and brown paint, camouflaged her, so to speak, until she looks like part of the landscape.' What made you suspicious of that particular place? The green was such a bright one in contrast to the rest of the foliage around it. That's what struck me, Tom answered, as he continued to drive the hawk earthward. They thought they were doing a smart trick, imitating the tactics of the Allies with their tanks, but they must be colorblind. Ned took another observation through the glasses. He could see the tank more easily now. There she was, fairly well hidden in a clump of bushes and small trees on the banks of a river, about a hundred miles away from Shopton. It was in a wild and desolate country, and only with the airship could the trail have been followed. Ned saw that the tank had been daubed with green, yellow, and brown paint in fantastic blotches to make the big machine blend with the foliage, and, to a certain extent, this had been accomplished. But, as Ned had remarked, the green used was of too vivid a hue. No natural tree put forth leaves like that, and the glass had further revealed the error. "'Look, Tom!' suddenly cried Ned. "'She's moving!' "'You're right,' answered the young inventor. "'They've seen us and are trying to get away.' "'But they can't beat your airship, Tom.' "'I know that, but their game—oh, Ned, they're going to wreck her!' cried Tom, and there was anguish in his voice. As the two looked down from their seats in the hawk, they saw the tank, 
in its fantastic dress of splotchy paint, leave her lair amid the bushes and trees, and head toward the river. Like some ponderous prehistoric monster about to take a drink, she careened her way toward the stream, which at this point ran between high banks. "'What's the game?' cried Ned. "'They're going to send her to smash!' cried Tom. "'She's pretty tough, Ned, but she'll never stand a tumble down into the river without breaking a lot of machinery inside her.' "'But if they demolish a tank, they'll kill themselves, won't they? "'And Koku and your men, too, who must be prisoners in her.' "'They won't risk their own worthless hides, you may be sure of that,' exclaimed Tom. "'There they go, but they must have left Koku and the others to their fate.' "'Oh, if they could only get loose and take control now, they'd save your tank for you,' shouted Ned. "'Yes, but they can't, I'm afraid.' They may be killed, or so securely bound that they can't get loose. Can't you get the hawk there in time to stop her? I'm afraid not. By that time she'll have attained top speed, and it would be taking our lives in our hands to try to make a flying jump, get inside, and shut off the motors. Then the tank's got to smash, said Ned gloomily. Tom did not answer for a moment. He and his chum watched the fleeing figures running away from the war machine. What the plotters had done, as soon as they saw the aircraft, and realized that Tom had discovered them, was to start the motors and leap from the tank, closing the doors after them. Whether or not they had left Koku and the others prisoners inside remained to be seen. But the tank was plunging her way toward the steep bank of the river, doomed, it seemed, to great damage, if not to destruction. Oh, if we could only halt her! murmured Ned. Tom Swift was busy with some apparatus on the Hawk. Ned heard the hum of an electric motor which was connected with the engine, and there soon sounded the crackle of the wireless. "'What are you doing? Signaling for help from those inside the tank?' asked Ned, for the big machine was fitted to receive and send messages of this sort. "'I'm trying something more desperate than that,' Tom answered." Again the wireless crackled, Tom working it with one hand while, with the other, he guided the aircraft. Ned looked downward with wondering eyes. The tank was still plunging her way toward the steep bank of the river. If she tumbled down this, there would be little left of the expensive and complicated machinery inside. "'The rascals did their work well,' mused Ned. "'They've probably gotten all the secrets they want, and now they're going to spoil all Tom's hard work.' It's a shame. If only... Ned seized his musing. Something was taking place down below that he could not explain. The tank seemed to be slackening her progress. More and more slowly she approached the edge of the cliff. Tom! Tom! yelled Ned. You must have waked some of them up inside and they've thrown the motors out of gear. Hurrah! She's stopping! I believe she is! yelled Tom. Oh, if it only works! The tank was still moving, though more slowly. Still the crackle of the wireless was heard. And then, just as Tom shut off his own motor and let the hawk glide on her downward way in a volplane to earth, the great ponderous tank came to a stop on the very edge of the precipice at the foot of which rolled the river. Phew! whistled Ned as the aircraft rolled along the ground near the war machine. That was touch and go, Tom! They stopped her just in time. You mean the wireless stopped her, said Tom quietly. 
I'm very much afraid that if Koku and the others are alive, there's still prisoners in the craft. The wireless! gasped Ned, as he and his chum got out of the hawk. Do you mean that you stopped her by wireless, Tom? That's what I did. It was a desperate chance, but I took it. I had just installed in the tank a system of wireless control, so she could be guided as some torpedoes and submarines are, by wireless impulses from the shore. Only I'd never given the tank system a try-out. It was all installed, and it worked perfectly on the small model I constructed. And when I saw her running away, out of control as she was, I realized the wireless was the only thing that would stop her, if that would. It might operate just opposite to what I wanted, though, and increase her speed. But I took the chance. I set the airship wireless current to working and tuned it in to coincide with the control of the tank. Then, by means of the wireless impulse, I shut off the motors, which can be started or stopped by hand or by electricity. I shut them off! And only just in time, cried Ned. Whew, Tom Swift, but that was a close call. I realized that myself, said the young inventor. This is a new idea and has to be worked out further for our newer tanks. Gee, ejaculated Ned. Out of date before got into use. Now let's see about our friends. It was the work of but a moment to enter the tank, and after making sure that the machinery was all right, Tom and Ned made their way to the interior. In one of the smallest rooms they found Koku and the others bound with ropes, and in a bad way. Koku was so tied with cords and hemp as to resemble a bale of manila cable. "'Cut em loose, Ned!' cried Tom, and the bonds were soon severed. Then came explanations. As has been told, one of the plotters, whose identity was not learned until later, came with the forged note. The giant and Tom's men set out in the tank, and the machine was stopped at a certain place where the plotter, who gave the name of Crossley, told them Tom was to meet his men. Out of ambush leaped Simpson and others, who overpowered the mechanics, even subduing Koku after a fierce fight, and then they took possession of the tank, making the others prisoners. What happened after that could only be conjectured by Tom's men, for they were shut up in an inner room. It seemed certain, though, that the tank was taken to some secret place, and there pitted to resemble the verdure. Then she went on again, coming to rest where Tom and Ned saw her. Meanwhile the plotters were gradually getting at the secrets of construction, and they were in the midst of this work when one of them saw the aeroplane. Rightly guessing what it portended, they left hurriedly, still leaving the hapless men bound, and started the tank on what they thought would be her last trip. "'But you saved her, Tom!' cried Ned. "'You saved her with the wireless!' And word was sent back to Shopton by the same means to tell Mr. Swift, Mr. Damon, and the others that Tom and his tank were safe. And then, a little later, when the bound men had recovered the use of their cramped limbs, the tank was backed away from the ledge and started on her homeward way, Tom and Ned preceding her in the hawk. Without further incident, save a slight break which was soon repaired, Tank A soon reached her harbor again, and a double guard was posted about the shop. "'And they won't get much more chance to steal her secrets,' said Tom that night, when the stories had been told. "'Why?' asked Ned. "'We start to dismantle her at once,' Tom answered, 
and she goes to England to be reproduced for France. If only those plotters hadn't stolen the secrets, mused Ned. But if they had, they had got little good of them, for shortly afterward government secret service agents rounded up the chief members of the gang, including Simpson and Blakeson. They, with Schwen, were sent to an internment camp for the period of the war, and enough information was obtained from them to disclose all the workings of the plot. It was just like lots of other stunts the German spies tried to put over on the good old USA, said Tom to Ned, the day after the dismantled tank was shipped to Great Britain. In some way the spies found out what I was making, and then they got hold of Blakeson and Grinder. Those fellows, who so nearly queered me in the big tunnel game, promised to make a tank that would beat those the British at first put out, and they took some German money in advance for doing it. When they found they couldn't make good, the German spies agreed to help them get possession of my secrets. They worked hard enough at it, too. But thanks to you, Ned, and to Eradicate, who gave us the tip on Schwen, we beat them out. And so it's all over, Tom? Yes, practically all over. I've given all my interests in the tank to Uncle Sam. It was the only way I could do my bit at this time, but I've something else up my sleeve. And those of you who care to learn what the young inventor next did may do so by reading the next volume of this series. It was about a week after Tank A, as she was still officially called, had been shipped in sections that Ned Newton called at Tom's home. He found his chum, with a flower in his buttonhole, about to leave in a small runabout. "'Oh, excuse me!' exclaimed Ned. "'This is Wednesday night. I might have known. Give Mary my regards.' "'I will,' promised Tom, with a smile. End of chapter. End of book. Thank you for listening.